Hey guys, Tucker here, co-host of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Before we get into this week's show, I wanted to let you know that we're currently looking for more projects. So for any of you guys that listen to the show that may be an agent or otherwise that have a property that you're looking to sell, we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, we're looking to purchase properties that are maybe not best suited for the retail market or maybe they need to be redeveloped. So we do renovations and we do new construction so we could buy an existing home that maybe it smells like cigarette smoke, maybe it hasn't been updated in decades, maybe it's got some fun functional issues, some problems like that, or maybe it's just in an area that is best suited to take the house down, partition the lot, maybe build a couple new homes, or just build one new home in its place, and anything in between. So if you guys out there in Listenerland have anything that would be best suited selling to a development company like ours, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com, and when you go there, there's a Contact Us tab. Click on that, and you can send us a message, and we'll get back to you shortly thereafter. We'd love to hear from any of you guys out there that have a property like this, and hopefully we we can do a deal together. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listening land, welcome back. This is episode 73 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back this week. We've got another best of Masters episode. It's been a while since we've done one. We've got a lot of great topics, but before we get into all that, welcome my co-host here, Steve Nassar. What's up, Steve-O? Hey, good to be back on the show. Good to have Joe Fistolo here with us today. Welcome, Joe. What's up, fellas? You were up early. You got some great topics for us. I'm excited to talk about a few of them. Yeah, what, we've been uh, fighting some Wi-Fi issues, but we're up and running. Let's do this. Let's do it. So what's topic number one? Let's kick it off. Let's just dive right in. The first one is actually, and it's always kind of cool when you have one that's pretty current. I think this was posted just yesterday, and so I think it's kind of real time. People are still commenting on it here. It was posted by Lois Oliver. I'll guess at the last name, Meisbach, it looks like. It was a new one for us. We haven't really discussed this one before. I think I've heard of similar requests, but they're pretty few and far between. So let's let's go right into it. She said, I received a request from a buyer's agent today to remove my listing photos from RMLS for a sale that closed several months ago. The buyers contacted Redfin to have them removed and they told her to go to the listing agent. I don't think it serves us as cooperative agents well to remove photos from RMLS and I don't plan to cooperate with their request. RMLS sold listings are not available to the public but they are useful and available to us as agents to use when looking at comps. RMLS allows our listing data and photos to be used by Redfin but maybe they should not allow it to be used after a transaction is marked sold. Thoughts? Question mark. Joe, why don't you take this one? Well, you know, it's interesting because many years ago, we kept all of our information close to our chest. And to get any information about the listing, you would have to call the listing agent or grab a flyer. And with the birth of the internet and all of these third-party resources, it's blasted everywhere. And it kind of goes with the territory. If you want to market a home, it's going to be in RMLS. It's also going to be in 
500 different third-party websites, I understand someone not necessarily wanting the general public to take a peek into 30-some-odd photos of their house, even though the photos are from the previous seller and the previous seller's furniture. I understand that people you know, like to maintain their privacy. However, these photos are an integral part of what we do. Because when we have to sell a house, three houses away from that particular house, we need to do our analysis. And if we're constantly scrubbing all of the RMLS listings, all of the remarks, all of the photos, then we're not going to have this great database of information as a resource. So although this person wants the photos taken down, I think Lois did a great job in, in saying, hey, you know, I'm going to leave it there because I respect all the people I cooperate with, other realtors and appraisers, and it's valuable for us. And I'm not quite sure if she scrubbed RMLS that it would necessarily scrub from all the third-party sites anyway. So I'm with her on this, and I would hate to see that trend start to happen. It would just make our database not be as, as good as it is today. I'm right there with you, Joe. I aim into everything you said. I kind of think people need to get over the privacy component of this. In this day and age with video cameras in every intersection and many houses we're showing with the internet, Facebook, that'd be like somebody saying, I better never see myself on, on Facebook, right? On somebody else's post. If I go to an event and they post a picture, by golly, I better not ever show up there. I mean, it's just... It's just not practical in this day and age to expect that type of privacy. So again, I love what you said. I mean, this isn't even your furniture. This is the previous seller's furniture. So really, what are the photos showing? Just the structure? And how is that jeopardizing your privacy? I mean, I find it hard to connect this to a really big underlying issue. I think Redfin is kind of playing a little game of, you know, we can't fix this. They need to over there. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I know Zillow stopped showing the inside of closed homes. I was actually disappointed when Zillow did that. I thought it was a cool feature that you could go onto that website and look up any property in the in the country, really. And as long as it had been listed before, it, it had a stockpile of the photos from inside the house. Somewhere around two years ago, it feels like, they stopped doing that now, and they, they just show the, the Google Earth image of the various homes. So I think maybe they were getting a bunch of feedback, and, and maybe there was some pushback on it on their end. Clearly, Redfin could turn that off as well, but they are kicking the can over to the listing agent which is a little odd because it's not even an active listing. So I, I have a hard time imagining RMLS is feeding Redfin that information. I, I could be wrong there. And somebody else brought a great point up in this thread. They said, once you close a transaction RMLS, you can't go back and edit it. So I don't think she'd be able to change this if she wanted to, unless she went back to RMLS and asked them to. And I don't know that they would. I know you at least have to have the, the, the main photo there. So... A lot of good points there. I think this is bogus, and, and I, I think it's interesting, but I think buyers need to move on. Tucker? Yeah, I might have hit delete on that voicemail and not called her back, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, but 
You know, one thing's interesting though, I use Redfin a lot and I haven't been able to see sold pictures on there in a long time. So they might have tweaked it as well. But they do have a, a curb shot, obviously, that you can see on the solds. But I haven't been able to scan through. Once it shows sold in their system, I think it cuts those out. Unless maybe you have like a, a realtor login or something like that. I don't, I'm not really sure. But I haven't been able to see those in a while. But either way, I mean, I don't know. That's one of those messages you get from a previous client. And I'd be like, oh, God, really? You know, and then you got to make the call and look like a dingling calling somebody. Hey, can you remove those pictures? And. It's just going to be a friction-filled relationship. So I feel bad for the for the agents that got to deal with it, and I feel bad for the agents that have to, you know, list and then deal with it on the buyer's agents asking for them to take them down. So I just think it's a, a lot a lot to do about nothing and just a big waste of time for everybody, honestly. And that sums yeah. up my conclusion. Yeah, let's move on to the next one, guys. This one was posted by Sarah Lackey O'Reilly. She said, have you heard about this? Omitted taxes being charged to the buyer after they purchase a home. The number of buyers getting these notices is on the rise big time. And we need to protect them and ourselves. And by the way, when I grabbed a couple of these today, guys, I kind of lumped that one together with the last one because it kind of pertains to this talk we're hearing. And I think I'm hearing it quite regularly of the counties going back in and checking sold listings, including the photos, including the details, and reassessing taxes. So that's really what this conversation was about. And in the thread on this one, and I'll kind of just go into this one a little bit, in the thread on this one, there was actually some talk about people saying, well, maybe we should be removing photos, which a lot of people pushed back on that as well here in the thread with regards to that. But I have I have heard this. We've had clients and we've had listings of ours where the counties were doing this. I know Washington County for sure. They're definitely looking for I think the big, you know, hot buttons are added square footage. If the county records, you know, show one size and then it gets listed at a, you know, significantly larger size, they're definitely all over that. I think they're looking for major remodels at times. In fact, this is such an issue that we here at PPG had a reviewing broker meeting recently where we talked about implementing, we would incorporate it into a disclosure where we already have more likely that just kind of has some verbiage that kind of protects us and saying, you know, taxes are assessed, but that can change based on county view of the property after closing. What are you seeing, Joe? Well, it's interesting. So I I agree with what you just said. However, what confused me is that Sarah said omitted taxes are being charged to the buyer after they purchase the home. So there's a couple things going on. What you're talking about is the tax assessors at the county are are searching for buzzwords like fully remodeled and and you know, new addition and and things like that. And they're trying to get a sense of when these sellers did this remodeling because they didn't know about it. And if it was fully remodeled in 2010, the county's going to try and nick them for seven years of, of taxes or from when mm-hmm. it was remodeled to date. She's talking about the buyers getting taxed. And, and I just, I don't know if the question is accurate. I know like deferred taxes goes to the seller if they had deferred taxes. If they did some remodeling, the, the county can come after them. The only thing that 
I can see that the buyer has to pick up is say they buy in a condo and back when the, the times were bad, a lot of people went banco and the HOAs suffered or the condos in the Pearl, a lot of them have bad, bad water pipes and all kinds of problems. They have special assessments. And a lot of times you see the seller say the buyer to pay the $9,000 special assessment. But I don't really know of any other taxes targeting the new buyer. So you are right, Joe. I did. I want to confirm what you said. I think she was starting with something different. You are right. Because now that I reread that omitted taxes, that is different what I'm saying. However, the thread took off in the direction that I was talking. If you read the thread, people quickly started going down the path of, you know, they can reassess it, deleted photos. So, yeah, you are right. I think her intended, and I didn't read the article here, I don't think. I just kind of read the thread, and I, and I thought it was relating to a little bit about the county thing. Go ahead, Tucker. So I had a situation like this that actually happened on the last house that I sold that was my own primary residence. And so while we lived there, it had a carport. Obviously, garages are better than carports. So we closed the carport in and made a garage. And the county eventually got wind of this and decided that they were going to reassess the taxes based on a carport turning into a garage by, you know, a fairly significant amount for what the change was. And so now the buyers of my house, he he actually reached out to me a few months ago and he was like, hey, they're trying to collect taxes basically from the point that they bought it forward, reassessing it based on the garage being there versus a carport. So that's what they were trying to collect out of them. It wasn't prior to that, to my understanding. But obviously, he was still not happy about them trying to say, hey, you owe us, you know, 400 and some dollars more a year since you bought it because we recognize it's a garage and not a carport now, which, you know, I guess that's arguable in terms of whether that's a reasonable amount of more property taxes or not. But that's how it it played out in the situation that I dealt with. Was he was he asking you for money? <laughs> it might have been a shakedown call initially, <laughs> but I kind of routed it in the direction of, well, you know, fight him <laughs> or whatever, you know. But yeah, I, I mean, he wasn't really upset about it. He just was like, hey, is this normal? Because he knows that we just deal with the county and taxes a lot more than he does. And he just thought it, it felt like a full on shakedown, which it is, of course. But it's the government and that's what they do when they need more money. So he wasn't happy about it. And I'm sure, you know, this gal's clients, Sarah or whoever on this thread who's had clients that have dealt with the same thing. Nobody likes it when you get an unexpected bill that says, hey, you owe us X amount more money because we feel like you owe us more money. I mean, that's never a fun one to pay. That's for sure. Yeah. And to be fair to the counties, I mean, this is really the only way they're going to know things are changed if it's not, you know, volunteered to them or permits weren't pulled. So, I mean, I don't think we can collectively hate on them too much i mean they are there they are taxing based on i mean if you've added you better be in the mls if you've improved the property you better believe it's going to be there in the mls let's try to get the most money so it's always going to flush out what really is going on with that property you know, the counties i get what they do but it's not a pleasant surprise i also get why it definitely needs to be on our radar as realtors and as brokerages to be kind of warning clients, especially when you see a discrepancy. Let's jump into the next one, Joe. The tax thing. Taxes suck. We'll end it with taxes suck. And yeah. Go for it, guys. If the county reassesses, <laughs> so be it. They reassessed my personal residence and taxes went up by almost five times. 
So, you know, that's how much love I have for the county and property taxes. But that's normal. Everybody would feel that way. So next topic let's get into. And Joe, this kind of is actually your post in conjunction with another one that Steve had here about open houses and how busy they are. But bubble talk, maybe jump into that one. Let's talk about, you know, that post, but also kind of what you're feeling in terms of open houses and just market overall right now, because I'm curious what you think. Sure. So first I'll read it, August 14th, and it was titled Bubble Talk, and it's probably easier just to read it than paraphrase. So it says, recently I was filmed for a TV show along with five other awesome Portland Realtors for the real estate segment part of a particular show. The first question was regarding our current market as we see it today. In short, we all notice a slowing recently which could be seasonal or could be something else. And the host asked directly, is this real estate bubble going to burst? We all gave our opinions. I am all wondering what you think if this is a bubble or not. And then something that we're parlaying into this is someone else asked if we're seeing lots of activity on open houses. Is it busy or slow? I really can't comment on that because I'm not a big open house person. I think there's more effective ways to sell a home than open houses. So I'll dig into the bubble talk. You know, it's surprising to me that people don't notice trends. You have you have long-term trends and short-term trends. And traditionally, always near the end of August, two weeks before school starts, you know, all the families are taking their kids to Manzanita, Lincoln City. It's your last hurrah. And then you got a week to get them haircuts and clothes and get them into school. And traditionally, it slows and everybody panics. And it's like, oh, my God, it's a bubble. So we all experienced a, a cooling trend. And when you see a cooling trend, how you get prices is you look backwards in time. You look at everything that's closed from yesterday to six months ago, more or less. And that's where you get your trends, whatever they sold for. And if it's a similar property, yours too will sell for. But when the market starts cooling and you're at the peak and it starts going down a little bit, you start seeing people pricing it as if the market was continuing on that plane and it's not. So we start to see more and more listings sitting, more and more inventory, more and more, quote, overpriced listings compared to what we're used to. And this is all normal stuff. You know, the other thing that shocks me is so many people in the workforce don't recognize the layoffs that happen. So the things that kill companies are you know, your your lease or your building and your salaries. And you start seeing them laying off title people, big corporations lay off people, and then they rehire them back like in February or March. Nike just laid off 450 people. Yep. My neighbor was one of them unexpectedly. So yeah, it, it has an impact for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I think it'll pick back up in March. It's not going to be as fast and furious as it was because I don't think we can sustain that. However, the U-Haul company was started in Oregon, and based on their statistics, I'm giving a round number, but there's like 135 families moving here per day. They're starting to build further out, and people sell for all reasons, good and bad. So I think we're still going to have a good 2018 
I don't think it's going to be quite the circus with multiple offers and, you know, a house having 15 offers on it, but I still think it's going to be a good market. It might be leveling out a little bit. Yeah, hey I guys, I think I'm back. Yeah, <laughs> he's back. Yeah. I'm having, to our listeners, I'm having some Wi-Fi issues here today, but I just noticed that I've got a strong connection all of a sudden, and that's the beauty of Wi-Fi. I heard most of what you said, Joe, and I have to agree with you. It was a really, really odd August. I don't think it was just late August. It was early August. And I talked to a lot of agents inside my company and out, and they were like, what is going on here? However, we've noticed a decent uptick in business in the last two, three weeks. I've had quite a few of my listings, which had been sitting pretty dormant for most of August. I'd had them sitting with no offers and few showings and and by golly a lot of, quite a few of them have now gone into escrow now that said yeah i don't think there's a bubble per se the market definitely has changed a little bit and it's there's definitely a little bit of a cool off from my experience the listings that have gone pending are the ones with motivated sellers the ones where this, you know, we we talk to the sellers and, and they get it and they're like, I don't want to sit on this thing forever and I've moved out of the house or whatever the case is already, I've relocated and are doing, you know, fairly significant price reductions and showing signs of motivation. They've been rewarded with offers. The ones who are a little bit more stubborn have been a little bit slower in getting those offers. And and that is a different market than we've been in for the past couple of years. But that said, one thing I have to appreciate about this market, you know, when you talk about bubble talk, I mean, we always think back to 2008, 2007, you know, that was just so different because we, we woke up one day, it felt like, and just overnight the music had stopped and half the market was gone. And so much of that was literal because almost that dramatically loan programs disappeared. People who could buy no longer could qualify. They didn't have the hundred percent down or they didn't have the low credit scores or they didn't have the stated income. I take tremendous comfort in knowing that's just not happening. That's not happening and it can't happen. So you know there will be ebbs and flows in this market. There will be, I think, I think there'll be a prolonged cooling where you know it's just not quite as it's been, nor could it remain that way. But it's definitely not just an off the cliff. You know, everything falls off and really takes a nosedive. What about you, Tucker? I mean, I think Joe made some good points in terms of you know, for those of us that have been in the game for a while, there's always that late August slowdown, right? And then you head into September and. We basically don't list any new projects between, you know, after Halloween and before New Year's. I mean, if we if at all possible, that's kind of, you know, we don't like to because if you're selling in that period of time, if you want to get it under contract, usually you're taking a little bit of haircut on what you'd be able to sell it for after the new year. You know, obviously it depends on the project and where it is and all that. But overall, it's just a slower time. There's just less people looking to buy houses. And so this year, you know, we kind of headed into the end of summer. It was fast and furious at the beginning, multiple offers, crazy this, that. And so as we head into kind of the slower time, I think there's a lot of people freaking out like, oh, my God, it's a bubble. It's it's slowing down. And I think you just have to kind of look at it in terms of, well, it's normal for things to slow down. We had a lot of overly hopeful sellers and listing agents who wanted to buy the listing this summer 
And so, you know, a lot of those people both have to come back down to reality and figure out, you know, what's a realistic price for their house to sell at. And a lot of them will eventually do that. But I think it's just time of year, you know. But I, I also think that we can't sustain the path that we were on in terms of appreciation and, and you know, the, the overall cost of housing. I mean, it, that's just not a reality either. So I think that we'll probably see a flattening of the market as we head through the end of the year and then, of course, into the buying season next year as well. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say we're at bubble talk yet because, like you said, Steve, there's everybody that bought these homes. Unless there's massive layoffs, like Joe mentioned, and there are a few that have happened, but they haven't been on, on a super huge scale. But massive layoffs can be a domino that cause all kinds of problems. But unless that happens, you know, everybody can afford their mortgages. There's no crazy programs. There's no stated. There's no, you know, no money down, which, you know, a combination of those two things makes it real easy for people to say, screw it, I'm walking away when property values dip or go down at all. And so that hasn't happened. So everybody's very vested in their homes. And I just think we're at that time of year where it's going to slow down and you can't, you know, ask a ridiculous price for your house and expect that you're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. You got anything else to add to that one, Joe? Nope. I think that's spot on. You know, no, no reason to panic. It's a seasonal wavelength that we always see. But I agree. I don't think we can sustain what we've seen this year, next year, mm-hmm. or we will be driven towards a bubble. So I think it's going to be a consistently strong year, but, you know, maybe a little bit more balanced for everybody. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been good on the buyer side to have a little bit less competition. That's for sure. Let's move on to this next one. I thought this one was pretty interesting. This one was Jordan Maiden. I'm thinking about selling my Mercedes and getting a Jeep Rubicon, but I'm a little nervous about appointments for high-end properties. I haven't had a client in my car in years, so I'm not worried about that. But just pulling up to a $2 million plus property, do you think it matters? I hate not being able to go to the mountain or drive where I want. I thought this was a little interesting. Tucker, you want to kick this one off? Sure. You know, I know that some guys are into the flash. And Steve, you've got nice cars and nice clothes and nice stuff. But that's your style. That's who you are. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think that what I have a problem with is that people want to put themselves inside this box of what they think they need to be in order to be successful in this business. And the reality is, is you need to be whoever you are, right? And if you're good at your job, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I dress casual every single day and it's because I can't, you know, and it doesn't affect the amount of money I make and it doesn't affect how successful I am in this business. But if I wanted to dress real slick every day, I could too. And it'd be the same. So I think that this guy's having like an internal dilemma of putting himself inside the box that he thinks he needs to be in versus the box that he wants to be in. And really that doesn't matter, you know, in terms of people that live in a $2 million property. I live in a $2 million property. And I tell you what, I don't care what somebody pulls up. I mean, if you pulling up in a busted down, you know, thing that's leaking oil over my driveway, I'm going to be like, dude, park that thing in the gravel, please. But you know, I don't think that that matters at all to people. I mean, everybody has these preconceived ideas of what rich people think. And I'll tell you what, rich people are generally the most relaxed people when it comes down to it. They just want to know that you're competent. As long as you're competent, nothing else matters, you know? So I think you just need to operate within the box of who you are and what your style is. And that's how you should, you know, proceed in this business. But that's my two cents. Steve? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in. First of all, I don't think there's anything wrong with a Jeep Rubicon. So Jordan, in short, you're, you're, you're great. You're fine. That said, I mean, and you touched on this Tucker and I'll take it even a little bit further. 
a Jeep Rubicon's an okay car. I mean, it, it exudes professionalism. Exudes, it exudes, hey, you know, I live a more active lifestyle. I'm successful. I've got some money. Clearly, they're you know they they don't grow on trees, but this is the, the lifestyle I've chosen. Would I say the same thing if he said a 1995 Chevy Celebrity Wagon? <laughs> Probably not. And by the way, that was my first car in high school. <laughs> what about a 95 Ford Taurus? <laughs> I mean, I want to be careful not to take this too far to that extreme that it doesn't matter at all, because I do think it matters to some extent. And it doesn't matter for every occupation. When I was a mortgage lender, Tucker, I never would have had this conversation. I wouldn't have said to some other loan officer in the office, you know, oh my gosh, I'm driving a 95 Chevy Celebrity Wagon. Is that going to affect business? I'd be like, no, it's parked outside and no one's going to know it's yours. Get to work. I mean, you're seldom going to people's houses anyway. And and if you do, maybe you need to borrow something. But for realtors, the reality is clients see our cars. They associate whether we like it or not, and whether they like it or not, to some extent with how that person is doing in their chosen field. So I would never want to give advice to go too far to the extreme and what you drive does not matter. I don't believe that. And I saw this. This was mentioned in this thread, and I agree with it. It was, it was said kind of by a few people. As long as it's a respectable vehicle, it doesn't need to be over-the-top flash you know, on a scale of one to 10, if it's a solid six or better, you know, I think you're okay. But you start getting underneath that six and I don't buy into the, it's not going to affect you and your clients are going to think exactly the same of you, especially when they're interviewing, you know, several agents. Joe? Yeah. So we've sort of touched on this topic before just a little bit differently. And the pros and cons are if you show up in a broken down piece of crap, it's going to imply that you're not very good at what you do, or you probably weren't a multimillionaire and went out and bought that 95 country squire wagon or whatever it is. You probably are doing it because it's within your means, which does show a little bit about how good you are at what you do. The contrary discussion was you show up in a $100,000 Mercedes, you could give the impression that you charge too much. And they may not like that. The same goes with, you know, wearing $2,000 suits. Some people, you're going to freak them out. And some people, if you show up in shorts and a Bahama shirt, you're going to freak them out. So it's trying to do the best you can with all populations. I've had the Mercedes and the Beamers and all that stuff. And, you know, I bought a Ford Edge. My Kid got her driver's license today and she gets the edge, but I got to drive it the last couple of years. And driving the edge didn't make a difference from when I had the Mercedes or the Beamer or anything else. If people like you and trust you and believe you're capable of doing the job, you're going to get the business. The other thing, the part two of that is many years ago, a realtor, great guy, his name was Covington Vigo, and he had this old maroon convertible Cadillac, which was kind of a jalopy. And he said, you know what the difference is between owning a piece of crap or owning a classic? And I said, no, tell me. And he said, if you wax it. And he (laughs) waxed this thing and it was shiny maroon and it was a convertible and it looked like something. But if he didn't, it would look like this broke ass car. So 
I think whatever you have, you got to keep it clean. No goldfish, no McDonald's wrappers. Take a little bit of pride in what you got. And, you know, maybe your next car will be a little better. But I don't think having a car that's in the 80s, 100s, 120s is, is necessary at all. I think that's a good point, Joe. I mean, I would just putting myself in a, let's pretend this was a different universe and I wasn't a home builder, but I was in the same position and I was going to hire somebody to sell my house. I would way rather hire somebody who's got a six car that's like spotless and clean versus somebody who checked the Mercedes box, but it's dirty as shit and they haven't washed it or cleaned the rims in about, you know, 10,000 miles. That to me would be like, you have no pride of ownership because I'm a kind of a clean car guy too, but everybody can relate to the fact that you, if your car is clean, like it's kind of like a, what they say, a, a clean desk is a clean mind, right? Well, I think a clean car is a clean mind too, because you know, once it starts getting past a certain point, that just means your life is kind of a mess and you're not taking time to clean up the things you need to clean up. So I think, yeah, a reasonable car upkept well and, and waxed, if you like, you know, gets you to where you need to be. Now, that doesn't mean that if you want to drive a nice car and you can afford it, you shouldn't. But I don't think that it's going to hinder your ability to do your job well and get clients. Yeah, good stuff. Let's go on to our last one, guys. This one was pretty interesting. I, I see this and we talk about it on my team quite a bit because sellers will bring it up. This was Patty Jensen. She said, does seeing seller to do no repairs, that was in quotes, seller to do no repairs, scare you away as a buyer's agent. I'm debating putting it in a listing of mine that's coming up. My seller is overwhelmed and relocating to another country and doesn't want to deal with buyers nickel and diming on repairs come inspection period time. We have priced it accordingly. Your thoughts? Tucker? So this is kind of the world of buying houses as is, which is basically what we do. I think Patty's intentions are good here, and I don't know what the price of the house is, but one thing she said is that we have priced it accordingly, and I can tell you for certain most agents have no idea how to price accordingly based on you know updates or repairs that need to be done for the most part. But if she has and there's an adequate enough discount off of whatever 100 cents on the dollar is for full retail, then I don't think there's anything to worry about. But you know, a lot of sellers, that's the reason why there's kind of two markets for selling houses. There's a retail market, there's a wholesale market. And depending on how many repairs and such need to be done, your house may fall better into the wholesale market, which is basically where we operate on a lot of our acquisition stuff. Now, if the repair stuff is like the dishwasher doesn't work properly, or maybe the water heater is on its way out or smaller stuff like that, then it becomes a lot easier to just basically, if they don't want to deal with it, say no, and a buyer can deal with it. But if, you know, that needs a new electrical panel, the plumbing shot, the roof is toast, the, the windows, all the seals are broken, you can barely see through them because all the condensation inside, the furnace is limping along or full of dog hair and doesn't work, you know, then you get into a, some bigger challenges. And I think that's where agents have a hard time pricing it accordingly because the reality is, is most of them operate in a retail listing world and not the wholesale listing world. So they really have a tough time figuring out what that price is. And usually you ride that, you know, price reduction roller coaster on the way down before somebody actually buys it. But, you know, I personally, that's the world we operate in. It doesn't scare me at all. But if you're trying to sell a house that needs too much work to a retail buyer, you're putting a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. What do you think, Joe? You know, it really doesn't mean anything. If anything, putting it in there sort of sets the tone that, hey, we don't want you to nickel and dime us for repairs. 
However, I've been in the midst of contracts where either the seller wrote it into the contract or the buyer wrote it into the contract. But lo and behold, after the inspections, they ask for lots and lots of repairs. Because within that inspection period, anything goes. They can say, yeah, I know I said no repairs, but now I'm asking for repairs. And if the seller doesn't comply, the buyer can walk. So putting it in a contract when you're still within that inspection period doesn't mean anything. But it could lend a little bit of a tone like, hey, we know the house is rough. You know, it fell out of the ugly tree, hit a few branches. It needs some stuff. We know it. Give us a price accordingly, but then don't come around for round two for either more money off or having us do it. And if you had your meeting of the minds and you think that's market value, you stick to your guns regardless of what the buyer does. And if they if they walk, they walk. They might take a stab at it and you say no, and they might stick with the deal anyway. And, you know, don't ask, don't get. So maybe they just tried. So I think it goes a long way with setting the tone for a lot of people just to kind of get everybody up to zero and then moving forward from there. So I don't think it means much beyond that, but I think it could be helpful in that regard. Yeah, here's the thing. I don't like putting this in listings. I mean, there's extreme examples or there's extreme cases where you might put this in a listing and and maybe that is a situation where it's just absolutely physically impossible for the seller to do repairs. I mean, you know, obviously a short sale comes to mind there or or, you know, some kind of estate sale where the family is really laying that out there. But in most cases, I feel like you're by putting this in the marketing. Now, I think what you were kind of touching on, Joe, is you can cleverly put references into the marketing that associate this house with being a little bit in disrepair. You know, the word fixer comes to mind there, Um, you know, this light fixer or or an instant sweat equity or something like that that kind of conveys, hey, there's some work to be done here. You can say that without saying definitively, we will not negotiate with you in the second round of negotiations when we're when you're doing your inspections. I feel like that's just a drastic thing to put out there. Throws up a, a few red flags. You're kind of deviating from the normal process of selling a house. And I just don't see the benefit in that. I mean, are you really better off? Say the house is, you know, say it's 400,000 and you say sold as is, no repairs to be done. So now somebody comes and gives you, let's just, I'm I'm just being completely hypothetical. So it gives you a 380 offer, right? They're like, oh, okay, I'm kind of scared. Are you really that much better off than if you hadn't said that they bring you an offer, maybe it was 390 and you end up, end up a little below that because of some repairs. I personally think going the more conventional process and not subjecting yourself to the scrutiny of, oh my God, what do they know about this house that I should run from? Or I just think you're going to end up a little bit better and and probably move it quicker as well as end up with a little bit more bottom line. That said, there are some exceptions to this where it does have to go this way. But, you know, there was some great examples, you know, there were some great ideas thrown in here, like maybe don't put that in the listing, but kind of start verbalizing it when you catch wind and offers coming, have those conversations. Yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. 
I think that's a pretty good thoughts. I mean, the reality is, is that it's just, you know, some people don't want to do anything and there is a market to sell your house like that. It just may not be through a realtor and on RMLS. You know, it's, there's a whole nother market out there and way to sell your house if the house needs too much work. But again, if it's little knickknack stuff, especially if you're in a hot market, hot markets will allow people to, especially retail buyers to overlook small problems or busy roads or all kinds of things. But as the market begins to cool, you know, smaller problems become bigger issues, but really it's just a matter of how much is wrong with the house. And, but I think you're right, Steve and Joe made this good point. It doesn't matter what you say. Once you get in negotiations with people, if you're like, don't nickel and dime us, don't nickel and dime us, guess what they're going to do? Like nine out of 10 times, they have the inspection report and then they nickel and dime you. That's just the reality of the way it works. And they're like, well, you know, uh, and that's, I mean, we've seen it more times than I can count. So whether it's in there or not, you end up in the same place, I think. So you made a good point with that, Steve. Yeah. And little plug for you, Tucker. Just like the first 10 seconds of this podcast said, there is a market for those homes and their name is Tucker. So reach out to the guy that, that can get you to the finish line quickly and easily in those situations. Joe, I know you've got one last thing you wanted to say. You made a post earlier this week. It's really, really sad news about a, a, a tremendous loss to our industry. Why don't you take it away? You got a lot of comments and likes on that. By Yeah. Well, he did. I did nothing but let the world know. But, you know, Portland lost a great real estate icon. Gary Taylor passed away and he's been around forever and helped so many people, touch so many people's lives. He was a, a big real estate advocate. He was big on ethics. He mentored. He was big on education. He wrote his newsletters relevant to the real estate market for PMAR and, and RMLS and just a hell of a guy and, and had a great sense of humor too. And, you know, the posting with all the comments and, and likes is a testament to how revered he was here in our market. I don't know when this podcast comes out, but there's lots of information on masters. There is a October 5th service at five o'clock at Edgefield. If you knew him and can make it, the family said, come all, you're welcome, but he'll be missed. He was a, he was a heck of a guy. I talked to him so many times and he never, never let me down. Always had the right answer. I don't know that I ever met him in person, but he was a prolific writer. He really could write well. I was always impressed by his wordsmithing. Most of it I saw on Masters. And he was one of those guys that people would always like pipe in and go, hey, Gary, what's your take on this? And that's just so sad to see it. And, and he'd always just had the greatest pearls of wisdom on some really interesting topics. I remember it wasn't but Gosh, a year, year and a half ago, there was an article that you posted in Masters that he had written, I think, for PMAR. And I really like the flow and the message of it. It's a really, really sad loss. I have to tell you, about nine months ago, we were having a meeting here at Premier Property Group. And we we're kind of doing an education and training meeting. And we we're like, yeah, we you know, who's somebody in the industry that we could bring in as the head of our education and training? And his name was the top of the list. And I think that was when we first caught rumblings that his health wasn't doing so well. Because we, we dismissed that meeting with Kelly kind of saying, I'm, I think I'm going to reach out to him. And, and then he came back and he said, you know, I, 
things aren't really going good with his health right now. So we we first heard that sad news, you know, back then. But that just tells you just what a revered person in the industry he was as far as his his wisdom and his insights. And gosh, it's it's a sad loss. So he will be missed. I did reach out to both of his daughters and his wife, and I said, there's so much good stuff going on in Masters. You know, friend me and I'll add you to the group just so they can read it, and then I'll probably delete them after that. But they were very appreciative that they got to read some 300 comments or, you know, all the likes in the comments. There were lots of them, and they sent messages saying, thank you so much. That was really great to see. It was an insane number. It's got to be, you know, one of the records. Let me look here real quick. 106 comments, 289 likes or sad faces or, or hearts. So, yeah, there was a lot. And they, they were incredibly great comments and, and photos and you name it. So you will be cool. missed, Gary. So well, they can find the information on that kind of celebration of life on Master's page, right, Joe? Right. That's right. Perfect. Well, go there if you want the details on that. But I think you said August, October 5th. This podcast will be out well before that. So should give people plenty of time if they don't know about it already. All right. Well, any closing words, gentlemen? I think we had some great topics today. Great conversation. Steve, Joe, anything? My Wi-Fi works. Hey. <laughs> hey. Terrific. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, on that note, we'll wrap up episode 73. We'll probably see you guys sometime next week and at the latest the week after. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.